Well, it's good to see all. Branch, how you doing? Ooh, okay. That's <laughs> like half you are doing great. After that epic start, though, this better be an incredible series. I'm just telling you right now. I'm like, that music just sets the stage radically. If we're glad you're here today. We're going to be launching into a new series here at Olive Branch. We're talking about this idea of no restrictions applying to the gospel. And what we're discussing is an idea of the gospel going global, that it's something that God intended to not just remain a local situation uh, and there in Jerusalem, but something to expand and spread out to the world. And in fact, that's something that lands in our laps. It's something that we're called to. It's something we're in, supposed to be engaged in as everyday Christians. And so there's, there's a lot that is to be considered in that. Over the last uh, 10 years or so, we have been discussing how Olive Branch gets involved in the global mission. And we've been engaging in various ways by prepping and sending different groups and individuals over the years. And as we do that, we often have them on stage or we have them in small groups. We have them have conversations with you guys. We get these awesome opportunities for them to meet you. And then we always get feedback. And I'm always fascinated by the various feedback that we get because oftentimes it's like contradictory. On one side, we'll have a, we had a single lady that was going and people would walk up to me and they'd be like, you, you know, she's single, right? I mean, she's, she's a single female. Is this really a good idea to send her out on the mission? Field. And we're like, yeah, we, we've thought about this. We think this is a good idea. On the other hand, we'd bring forward a, a married couple with kids. They'd be like, you know, they've got kids. You know, they, do you really, have they thought about going out on a mission field with kids? That doesn't seem right. And then we sent, we tried, we tried to send a couple that just has no kids and just them. We've had people go like, well, they're married and they got good jobs. Have they really thought about this? It doesn't matter what we sent. Everybody found an objection or a reason why it wasn't a good idea. And I think it was because everybody was kind of considering if you were willing to send them, are you going to ask me to leave too? And, and that's the scary thing. You know, that prayer that I've heard people pray, God, I'll do anything for you. Just don't send me to the global mission field. And this is that mentality that I think exists in a lot of Americans. It exists in me. I see it all the time. Um, right now, as we're, my, my wife and my daughter are off in Latvia, there's a sense that I'm kind of going like, why did I let her go? You know, because I got three boys at home and it's just me. That's kind of a different situation though. And, uh, and the, um, the reality for me is that when you look at this situation and you struggle through the idea of, hey, if, if I'm supposed to go or somebody's supposed to go, how do I know it's me? All this kind of stuff, because I don't think it should be. We wrestle with a reality that Jesus has told us that this message isn't just for us. It's for the world. And notice what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, oh, come on, little art. Well, let's see if it'll go back now. There we go. But, it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what he is doing here is he's telling his disciples, guys, I don't want you just to have this message and stay here. I want this to go on. I want this to go not just here. It's going to move on to Judea. It's going to go next door to Samaria. It's going to go all the way to the ends of the earth. In fact, the reason you have the Holy Spirit the reason you and I have the presence of God is for the empowerment of the message of Jesus to go global. That's exactly what this is saying. And if you have the Holy Spirit, it's not given to you just to enjoy in your present church situation or your present life, but it's also there to call you out, to call you forward, to do something. 
And yet, those, the excuses and the restrictions remain. There's this sense that, well, I, I can't go. I'm not called. You ever kind of said that one to yourself? Or maybe, I can't go because I just don't like to travel. Anybody like that? You're just a homebody? So I saw like last service, where there were several wives like elbowing their husbands. Like, that's you. You hate traveling. Some of you say, I can't go. I got to work. I just don't have enough vacation. I can't actually go on a trip. I, I can't go. It's way too dangerous. I just, I just can't do that. Or I've, I've heard this one like, I can't go. My gifts just aren't in that area. And I'm sure one day I will hear, I can't go. My pets won't live that long without me. You know, that kind of any excuse possible. Now, these are all restrictions. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at each of these various restrictions. and We're going to start tearing them down. Because I believe what the Bible is trying to get us away from is an I can't mentality. Well, I can't go global, and I can't help, and I can't do this because of this particular restriction. Therefore, this scripture does not apply to me. And I think that's the danger here, is that when we have an I can't mentality about global mission, we're assuming there's something that Jesus commanded you to do that he didn't really command you to do. That's for somebody else who's called, somebody else who's in this situation. In fact, the number one restriction that I hear over and over and over again is, you know what, why do we need to go? I don't really need to go. There are so many people to reach here. Why do we need to worry about there? And to be honest, I'm one of those people that says that to people in some ways. It's like I say, listen, there are 200 plus thousand people that surround our church in the Corona Valley right here in the Timiskau Valley down there out into Lake Elsinore and stretching out into Paris and stuff around us. 200 plus thousand people that don't don the door of a church that have never heard of the love of God in a way that is free and given to them without rules and restrictions, but grace now, this is, this is a huge number. Man, there's a lot of people to reach. There's a lot of people to connect with. Why would we worry about taking the message over the seas or down over a border? Well, that's not a restriction, actually, I don't think. I believe what we're going to read today is that the Scripture and, the, and Dr. Luke in the book of Acts is going to challenge us to the idea that the answer is, you're right. There's a lot of people to reach right here, so let's get busy. Because the better we reach locally, the more potential we have to reach globally. Because local mission helps global mission. In fact, why don't you say that with me for a second? Why don't we say that? Local mission, say local mission, helps the global mission. And if you leave with anything, you leave with that sentence. Now, what we're doing locally is going to ultimately help globally. And I want to show you that. It's right here in the book of Acts Chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. So if you grab your Bible, you can open it up there. And if I can get that moved, there we go. And Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So you can find it in, in your seats. Then the, there's a Bible there. You can pull that out, and you'll find it on page 920. And you can join us there. Or if you've got it in your app or on your Bible that you brought, we're going to take a peek at this section. And what's interesting is this, if you haven't been with us for the book of Acts, while you're turning there, this book has been written by a man named Luke. He was a physician in the first century. He was a doctor, and Dr. Luke was asked by a particular Roman official to write out roughly the history of Christianity. 
as he understood it. And so he begins with, this, with the life of Jesus and researches eyewitnesses and gets information. And he writes his first volume that we call the Gospel of Luke. The second volume that comes with it is kind of a, is the history of the church movement from roughly after just Jesus resurrected to just before Paul, just after Paul's arrested and it may be killed. And what we look at is about roughly 40 years of the first of the early church's history. And so we're in the middle of that. What has just happened is the message has moved out of Jerusalem. It's starting to spread. It's gone through Judea. It's gone into Samaria. And now for the first time, uh, the apostle Peter has preached the message to a group of non-Jewish men and women. The reaction was that God blessed them with his presence, revealing that this message was not solely Jewish. And so now, for those of us who have no Jewish blood, if you've ever done your Ancestry.com or anything like that, or 23andMe, and you found out, yeah, I have no Jewish blood in me, you know, you can't claim that you're Jewish at all. This message is for you. It's not just for the Jewish people who have a Jewish Messiah. It wasn't just for ancient Israel. It's for everybody from every continent on every, plan, on every part of this planet. And what I want to encourage you guys then is to realize that we, then in our local outreach, can help the global mission. We get to help this global mission in three ways, and then we're going to get that from this text. The first one is that we get to help this global mission by sharing Christ wherever we go. As Olive Branch, we've said we have three things. We love, live, and share Christ. And we have a tagline, wherever you go. Tagline is important because we want you to engage this message wherever you go, because that's how the early church did it. Let's take a look at this. Beginning in verse 19, it says, Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyrus and Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching to the, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this text is that we have here two things. First of all, is that this message originally birthed in Jerusalem. It comes out of Jerusalem and it begins to move north. And, the map, and some of you guys are like, I don't know where any of these locations are. So here it is. And kind of this is the, the farthest edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem, it, it, as you see, is the bottom of the arrow. And it goes up to this city called Antioch. Now, Antioch is a purely Gentile city. It has a, probably some Jewish people there, but originally the message moves out and it starts to spread out from this persecution from Stephen. If you haven't been with us, then you, um, then you miss that section of, of Dr. Luke's history in which he lays out that there was this evangelist named Stephen. And Stephen had done such a good job arguing for the faith that there was another synagogue that didn't like him and eventually was arrested and he was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin. During that time period, a man named Saul rose up to spearhead a persecution against the church. And as he attacked the church, it spread it out all over the empire. Some of the men from Cyrene, notice down in the bottom left corner of the picture, that's North Africa. Some of the people from Cyprus, if you see that word Paphos, and that island in the middle, that's Cyprus. People from Cyprus actually sailed across to go to Antioch. So these people who have received this gospel are marching it north. And as we see in verse 19, it says, They were speaking the word to no one except Jews at first. They'd assume this message was strictly for Jewish people. They'd take it to the synagogues. They'd take it to other places. It'd be like us as Americans, assuming the, the gospel is only for Americans. 
And so we go to all of our different, you know, vacation spots around the globe, and we'll go to all the military, U.S. military places and U.S. military um, embassies, or sorry, the U.S. embassies. We go to these locations and preach to the Americans so they can hear the gospel because we care about them so much. But instead now, the Jewish people uh, only, it spreads beyond that. It said in verse 20, if you'll look down, it says, those from Cyprus and Cyrene, from the north, from that northern Africa and that little island, sail across to Antioch, and they had caught a vision. They had heard about Peter. They heard about what he had done with, with Cornelius, this Gentile who had received the gospel, and they were excited to spread this to non-Jewish people. What I love about this text is you don't know who these people are. They're just some men, some men and women who took it upon themselves that as they were going along their journey back home or beyond, they brought the message to another group of people. These aren't the famous of the scriptures. These aren't the, the men that you find written down. These are just some men who are the first ones to begin to spread a gospel into an area where it had never been heard. And I think this is important for all of us who might feel like, you know, who am I in the annals of history of Christianity? We're just in this small church here in Corona. Who, who really hears from us? No, you don't want to underestimate what God can do with you as you go about your business spreading the message of Jesus. Because these men just went along and they sent it wherever they were. They got it to Hellenists, to Greeks. They marched it all the way up to people who'd never heard of it. And you have that opportunity right now. You're going to go on vacations probably at some point during the summer. You're going to go somewhere in the next year. Have you ever made sure that you didn't go on vacation from your faith? Made sure that you brought your faith with you as you went? It's powerful if you realize God has intentionally and given you the ability to go on those vacations, to go to those locations. There are other people there he may have intended for you to run into if you will stay on the mission that God has given you that you may be in another country and have an opportunity to share where otherwise you never thought you could. You may have met someone who came from somewhere else. You may not be going anywhere, and you stayed close enough that you could have entered into global mission and not even know it. The reason why is because right, out, right in our backyard is this place called Los Angeles. You know what Los Angeles is? It's the most diverse city in the world. It has more people groups than anywhere else in one city. What an opportunity in our backyard to stay local, and yet the gospel spreads to people who might take it home to closed nations. You know why I'm excited about that? Because you know where everybody in L.A. is moving to? Corona. That's why we got bad traffic, right? They think this place is awesome. Look at the prices. Oh, there's big land. We're building more houses. Why? Because they're moving to us. And so on your block are people who speak Farsi. On your block are people who are Hindus. On your block are people who are Muslim. On your block is this beautiful diversity of humanity. What an opportunity if you just simply reach locally. You never know how far that message will spread. You never, under, you never understand as you share the gospel wherever you go locally that you help globally because that's how this works. You see, in Jerusalem, they had shared it locally. They had shared it and saturated the market so greatly, in a sense, with the gospel that some historians roughly believe there was about 100 to 130,000 Christians by the end of the first century. That's a huge amount of people. 
And it had overflowed into Judea. It had spread out from there into Samaria, a place that they hated. And now it had spread all the way north because the local, as it grows, produces a base in which the launch to the global can occur. And this is critical if you understand. You don't just reach locally because, we, well, we just got to reach these people. There's only 200,000 people around us that need to be reached for Jesus so that we can have a base to, break that, to bring that gospel out even further. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who runs another church in town. We've known each other since youth ministry, and he, we both kind of became pastors of the, of the adults. That's the other junior high ministry that exists in the world. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, you guys just hide it better. That's all. We, but we, what we did is we both kind of became, and we rose through the, like, kind of the church ranks, if you will, together. And what was different was that, man, he was a dynamic leader. He was doing awesome. And next thing you know, he, they were just struggling. They planted this church, and it stalled out at just, just about 100 and 120. It dropped back down to about 80 people or so. And he's just wrestling and wrestling to just kind of get through that first phase, to kind of get it established where he could actually hire somebody other than himself. And as we were talking about some strategies and thinking about how to help and, and work through, it just dawned on both of us that he is so focused and fixated on just making sure his church stays open and his people are, are engaged in trying to reach out to their neighbors so they can just get past this first phase. They can't even think about global missions. They can't engage overseas. They don't have enough income power. They don't have enough people power to even begin to talk about it. And when you realize what happens when you do good local outreach, when the church grows and people gather together, you pull together in these churches the opportunity to make huge moves globally. And so when you have something like a saddleback, when 30,000 people are gathering together, they're able to make a difference in an entire nation overseas. They're able to transform because they focus together large aspects. I think their goal was to send a missionary to every single nation on the planet before the end of like 2000, by, by 2010. I think they actually did accomplish it with their peace plan. But that's what happens when you gather Christians together and local ministry is effective. It makes an ability to do great global missions when you ultimately engage it. So don't think it's an excuse to say, well, I, I, can't, I can't be a part of global missions. There's too many people to reach around here. No, engage the people around here so that we can really do global mission. You are aiding it. You're empowering it. You're enabling it. You're not standing against it. You can be a part of it. In fact, as that global mission grew, this is, or as they got up there and they began to preach, what they saw was a whole new church had started. And that whole new church, um, as you can read it here, if you look down your text, it says, and the, Lord, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so we have this idea of just the opportunity for many people gathering together helps the global mission, because the local mission helps the global mission, right? Let's say it again. The local mission, say it, the local mission, the global mission. Good. Keep that in your mind because I want you to keep doing that. So we want to help the global mission how? We want to finally help it by growing to maturity or grow others to maturity. You see, they just didn't have this one little sudden church plant and leave all these people in Antioch alone. They suddenly realized, hey, we got some brand new Christians here. We, we can't just let them sit around and figure this out. We've, we've got to, what we call, disciple them. We've got to grow them up. What I love about this passage, as you'll see, is they didn't grow them up to become the church of Antioch. They grew them up to be Christians. They grew them up to be people who follow Jesus. 
We're not here to make you a follower of all a branch. We're here to make you followers of Jesus. Amen? We don't want to just follow a church flag. We want to follow Jesus Christ. And that's critical. And that's exactly what they did as we continue in this section in verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, you may not have heard of Barnabas before, but he was mentioned earlier. First time he shows up, he's this generous guy who sells a whole plot of land and gives, it to the, gives the proceeds to the church. Kind of sets a model for that. He's called him, uh, the son of encouragement. He's just this man who exhorts and encourages people. He also is the one who supports Saul, the persecutor, as he converts to Christianity, he brings him before the, uh, the apostles and said, no, this guy's the true thing. He seems to be a discipler of sorts, a trainer of people. And so they send him down, and he begins to train the church. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith. If we want to help the global mission, you need to understand the key now is to, if you're immature in your faith, your beginning is to get stronger, to grow. Grow to maturity. If you are mature in your faith, then you want to help others grow to maturity. Jerusalem saw the situation. They sent a mature believer down to train these people. They sent somebody in who was going to begin to encourage them and grow them up. Now, I love this because when Barnabas shows up, he doesn't just tell them, here's what you need to know. He tells them, I want you to remain faithful. He wants them to stay living out the faith, not just simply to know the faith. And this is critical because I grew up in a time period where it was all vogue for you to sit one-on-one -on -one with somebody else and they will pull out this manual and you will work through this book. And as you do that book, by the time you're done, they would close the book at the end of this 17, 19, two year, however long it took and uh, time period, and they say, you are now discipled, almost like you checked it off. I have been discipled. And it would be funny, we would offer, you know, we talk about discipleship, and people are like, well, I've already been discipled. I've gone through that program before. Discipleship is not a program. Can I just make that clear, right? Amen? Discipleship is not like, I did the book, done, I'm out. No, the books are great. They're there to help guide the training and the process. But discipleship doesn't end. It's something you constantly go through. You will always be trained by Jesus. You will always be led by him. There will always be somebody likely who's being your mentor and leading you forward in some level. Don't think that discipleship just stops. No, you're going to get mature at some point. Trust me, you will. But the goal of discipleship is not just to end a book. The second goal of discipleship is not for you just to check off that you know all these things about the faith. I mean... You guys remember when you learned how to drive your cars? Anybody remember driver's ed? Was that as harrowing of an experience for you as it was for me? You get in the car with other strange high school kids and they're going to learn how to drive with you sitting in the, in the passenger seat. That's freaky, if you're really honest. I remember sitting down and I got into the driver's seat and I look over and the, you know, this guy who's going to teach me how to drive, he's on the wrong side, he's in the passenger seat, but he has his own steering wheel and his own set of pedals. I'm going... This is not going to be good. Because you know any mistake you make, he's going to correct you. Everybody's watching you in the backseat, and everybody's scared to death. I remember I did my little driving. I had done a little bit of driving before you know, with my parents, and he's trying to get us to do all the turns and stuff. And I'm doing okay, He's like, but I'm, I'm a hard breaker. I always have been. Anybody else with me? There's like, I just wait to the last minute to break, and I wear out my brakes like crazy. And I was doing it for that point, and so he would hit the brakes before I would, and I'm like, come on, give me a chance. And he's like, you're breaking too late. And you're so... 
flip around. I get in the back seat, and the, so I, I believe it was some young lady got in the front seat, and she's driving, and or she was doing something. But it was scary because I finally learned what that little handle is above your head that day, right? I'm like, ah! you know, she's like not getting the turn quite right and swerving slightly down the street, and he's just like, you need to, you know, just it was just scary. Now I guarantee you, though, I may not have been the best driver, and she may not have been the best driver. We could have passed that written test. We'd taken it at school. We'd done our stuff. But what good is taking the written test and getting it done if you can't operate the vehicle? I mean, if I can, I got an A, 100% when I drive the car. <laughs> Don't ask me to do that. See, I thought I was all good and figured out, and then my dad bought me a stick shift. Anybody remember what that was like? <laughs> Right, whiplash, just trying to get started. Then you figure it all out, and then he says, okay, get off the freeway at Magnolia. And you're like, oh, that old steep hill and a stick shift. Yeah, you got to operate the vehicle. Now, what would happen if we trained our drivers in the United States the way that we disciple our churches? They could pass the tests, but they can't operate their faith. How many people do I know know their theology? They understand it to the right extent. They know what it needs to be saved, but they can't tell me how to pray and they don't know how. They don't know how to hand off their faith. They're really not quite sure what to do during a church service. And suddenly we see that we may have the right knowledge, but we're not discipled to where we're operable. We're operating in our faith. And that's the challenge that we need to come to as a church. It's not head knowledge only. Oh, yeah, you got to pass that test. you got to have the right things down. But those right things got to work out in your life. you got to know God, and you got to know him. You got a head knowledge and relationally know God because you're engaging with Him. This is what discipleship is about. And I believe that's why He encouraged them forward. And so, no wonder He goes off and He finds another man named Saul, the same Saul that He had known before from Tarsus. So, Barnabas went to, to Tarsus to look for Saul when He found him, brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, note this, the disciples were first called Christians. What I love about this is they begin this process of discipleship. And what they do is they do two things. They meet with them and they teach them. And the whole meeting and teaching process goes on for a year. And this meeting and teaching process is what we continue to do in the church today. This is meeting and teaching. This is what we're doing together, right? We gather together to meet together and we gather together to learn and to grow. And so the weekend services is classically one of those places that we meet to be challenged by the word of God, to step out and grow in a certain way, to turn our attention to our local mission for the sake of the global because the local helps the global. That's what our challenge is. And that's why we gather together. Yet more and more people today are choosing to consider church more something to come to maybe once a month, maybe twice. Because, hey, you know, it's, it's cool and all, but I can catch up on the podcast. I can watch it elsewhere, and, and we can do that. But you know what? Unfortunately, if you chose not to be here today, you missed out on a chance to be in communion with your church, to sit and take communion together. If you missed out on today, you would have missed the beginning of the series, and the next part of the series wouldn't have made much sense because you'd still hold this objection that, you know what, I can do whatever I want locally, because I, I just don't want to focus on the global. And we realize there's, that they're not connected. We may miss out on the third week in this series in which we get an opportunity to launch a couple of people out into the global. 
And this is that kind of piece that we want to be able to engage week after week. There's a building process that goes on as we build into our souls, as we gather together. We just don't rush away. We connect and we meet together. And that can't always happen. I understand that. And that's why we encourage and challenge you. Have a small group. See, small groups exist here at Olive Branch, not so you can have a cool group of people to watch the latest Netflix series. That's not the goal of the small group. The goal of the small group is to gather together to go deeper in whatever the study is on Sunday or the study that you guys have chosen to go in, to gather around somebody else who's mature, leading your group. Sometimes I know some leaders who are like, I'm not that mature. It's okay. We understand that we offer then teaching from others who are mature, and then you sit down with training and apply it. And this is the beauty of a small group. You can get up and leave here today and nobody will probably ask you, so how to go with reaching out to your neighbors or how to go with with taking a step forward in discipleship this, this week. But if you go to your small group, that's the place where you guys talk about what you're gonna do You come back together and you say, how did that go? How is it growing? Did you make that step? No, I really didn't. I want to challenge you to make that step this week. Come on, we got to do this together. This isn't just about head knowledge. It's about operating our faith. And if we can gather in small groups like that, it becomes an encouragement. And it's teaching and engagement that grows. It's meeting with that teaching. And as these two things come together, we begin to actually grow to maturity because that's the goal. And if you are mature, you go help somebody else. And I get it. Some of you guys are like, "Uh, how do you know when you're mature? I've known Christians who say, well, (laughs) you know, I'm mature. And I go, no, you're not. And I've met a ton of other Christians who are like super mature. And they're like, I'm not really that mature. Trust me. I oftentimes trust the fact when somebody doesn't think they're mature more than I trust than somebody thinks they are. Because maturity isn't often found in yourself. You don't usually look at yourself, I'm a pretty mature guy. In fact, what's interesting about the text is notice this last line. It says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, right? It doesn't say that they called themselves Christians. The implication is that the world looked at them and said, these guys act like little Christs. The world named them Christians, not us naming ourselves Christians. When you realize that oftentimes maturity, you're told you're mature, and you're identified as mature by somebody watching you from the outside, not from you knowing yourself from the inside. And oftentimes people will indicate, you know, you're mature. You should be helping somebody else. And you're like, oh, I'm just not ready. I just don't think. You can tear yourself apart. Trust me, we can see all of our flaws. But oftentimes it's the other person outside of you who's going, you have grown like crazy. You have grown fruit in your life. Where once you were this angry, just bitter person, you have joy and love. Where once you were, it was chaos, you have peace. Or once you were on the freeway and you wanted to scream and yell, you now had self-control. People outside of you identify the change in you. They notice it and they go, man, you're changing. You are more mature. You should help other people continue to grow in their faith. And this is the key that we build each other up. We move each other on. We grow each other up. And when that happens, we, we see something begin to transform. And so that's, we, we see that we begin to gather other people into the church. And that's why we encourage you guys to consider the, this spiritual growth pathway that we put together as a church. It's intentional to help kind of spark and begin these pieces of development in your life. In fact, our, our pathway looks a lot like this and starts at the starting point, which is really for those who are exploring Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not made that decision to follow Jesus yet, or maybe you're just at the beginning point. You got those questions, or maybe you don't even know what question to ask. It's a conversation group where you can begin to ask questions and develop a faith. 
And then it moves to that join the family. This is more of how do we all gather together to get launched and move together as a team. But it's these next three, the love Christ, the live Christ, and the share Christ. These are what we call our keystones. And a keystone is, a, is that final piece in the structure that holds the arch together. You remove those, the arch falls down. You remove these, really the faith begins to not work. And what we have is these keystones that we really want you to have in your life. And it's the first one, just the spiritual devotions. How do you understand how to connect with God in prayer, in reading the word of God? Maybe it's in fasting. Maybe it's in giving. How do you serve? These kind of aspects of knowing how to use your your time, your personal time to, to meet with God and let him shape you. That's really what our love keystone aims at. The live one is how do you activate this into your life? How do you take your faith into your, into your vocation? How do you engage it with your finances? How do you make sure it moves out there in your calling? How do you know whether you're serving in the right place and God's gifted you for this and it's your passion? How do you get, and this is what live is all about. How do we move and live out our, the gospel in every part of our lives? And maybe you're sitting there going, I'm not mature enough to actually give the gospel away. So, Greg, this local mission thing is scary to me. This local outreach thing is, is frightening because I, I just don't know how to share the faith. That's what share is all about. Getting you trained so you can begin to actually help somebody understand what Jesus Christ has done for them. And give them the opportunity then to receive it. When we get into that place and we begin to live in that manner, we begin to share like that. Indeed, as it says, a great many people were added to the Lord. That's what happens when discipleship is final. You see, when you're mature, you bear fruit. In other words, you, you'll reproduce. Anything that's mature reproduces. We talked about that last week, remember? Just think about it. Parenting on sex. You know, okay, we got it. So we reproduce. In fact, intellectually, when you truly learn something, the reason we know it is you can reproduce it. When you're spiritually mature, you'll reproduce by having somebody else come to know the faith and you can build them up. This is spiritual reproduction. It's bearing fruit. That's what the Bible means by this. And what you see is that discipleship then ends in outreach and evangelism. It doesn't end at the end of a curriculum. It ends when we begin to engage the world and bring others to know Jesus. When we engage, we begin to bring others in. And so what we do is we encourage you with a process. We say, hey, you know, most Christians have a real hard time even having non-Christians in their life. So why don't you just start with just being a good neighbor, right? Jesus told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we invite us constantly to say, let's get engaged with our neighborhoods. And being neighborly is, one of, is the way we do this. This little booklet of being neighborly is a little guide to help you begin to connect with your neighborhood, to care about them. It even gives you little stalker pages, as we call them. That's a joke. Um, no, it's a place so that you you can't remember somebody's name and their kids' names and everything else because you're meeting your eight nearest neighbors. It's an opportunity to keep that information in place, be praying for them, and so you don't forget. It's, it's been helpful for me because I have a neighbor who has a, a very foreign name. She, they, I don't even quite know what country they're from, but I don't remember her name because it's not a normal English name. But it's in this book and it helps me pray for it and enables me to connect with them next time I see them when they come out of their house where I get bold enough to knock on the door, whatever comes first. And so we're just engaging with our neighbors. Now, let me tell you something that sounds weird. I'm not asking you to give the gospel to your neighbors. You're like, what? Yes, you are. No, no, no. I would rather you give the gospel to your friends. Oftentimes when we come up to our neighbors to give them the gospel, it sounds like we're just trying to sell something. 
It oftentimes comes across as I want something from you. Here's Jesus. And if you give me, I'll give him to you for $19.90, whatever, you know. The goal is not for us to be selling Jesus. The goal is not for us to walk up to get to know somebody just so we can go, Jesus, all over people. That's not the goal. Our goal is to engage in a friendship in which they know you love Jesus, they know you're passionate about Jesus, and now they're opening the door so that you can share Jesus. You know what? Some of you may be here today because a friend has invited you. And your friend who goes to Olive Branch is pumped that you even showed up. Why? Because they're excited that you would get to hear that God loves you. And that God has loved you so much that even though we are broken sinners, everybody in this room, and especially the guys standing on this stage, that we are so messed up, we all needed someone to remove that guilt and that shame and that brokenness. And God was willing to do it. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to bear that mess on himself so we could have a relationship with him. You know why we're excited for you to hear that? So that if you accepted it, and we get a chance to be with you forever. That we love being your friend and we want to be your friend forever. Now, you may not love being my friend and you don't want to be my friend forever. That's a different situation, but God loves you and he longs for you to be with him forever. And that's the message we get excited about giving away. That's the message we want to give to our friends. That's why we want to get to know our neighbors and connect with them and care about people because Jesus changed our lives. And that's why we're willing to even take up our roots, sell our homes, get rid of our stuff, and move to foreign countries that don't even have working toilets because those people we want to see in heaven forever as well. And so the local preps the global. It shapes and changes us. It grows us to be able to go global if God calls us to it or persecution hits and he sends you away or your job changes and he sends you away or you name whatever circumstance God's going to send you global with. You need to be growing and you need to help others grow because we don't know which neighbor on our street is actually the future missionary, do we? Have we thought about that, that maybe the greatest future missionaries don't even believe in Jesus right now, but they live two doors down from you? And that when you go local, you're opening the opportunity for God to go global in ways that you never even imagined. Don't knock and use it as a restriction. Use it as an empowerment because the local does what? It helps the what? The global. And so let's help the global by continuing to meet needs in the global church. I love this fact. The church can get to this place and grow to this place where honestly, it can begin to meet global needs. As we continue on here in verse 27, it says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. We actually know of this famine. It's written by a man named Josephus 60 years later. And he speaks about this very event. It was a very dramatic time period as most of Rome went under this massive famine. Well, the church had been prepared for this. They had already thought about it. And so what they did is they, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. That's the line I want you to underline according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea, living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And this is important because once the church is established, once it's maturing, once it's capable of continuing the local mission and growing, it will go global again. And oftentimes it goes global first by meeting needs. Here, in this sense, they're going to meet the needs of a famine. They're going to go up there and meet those needs by, by giving people food. 
But notice how this works. Antioch didn't go up there and go, hey guys, we got this awesome food distribution thing we're doing from our church up in Antioch. We've come down here. We're the new hip, cool church in Antioch. Nobody's ever seen anything like this Gentile church. All these crazy old Jerusalem churches, you don't need to listen to them anymore. We'll give you food. We know what's going on. No, 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 no. They went through the Jerusalem church. They gave it to the Jerusalem church and the Jerusalem church distributed from there. And what we see is we want to work with the churches. And so when we sent a team to Mexico just a few weeks ago, they didn't go down there just to show up and go, well, us Americans, we think that beam's broken and that ADA, not ADA compliant. And over there, that's not quite right. No, what we did is we built now for about a year talking to them going like, what do you guys need? Do you know what? The, one of the pastors broke down crying and said, we've never had a church come here and ask us what we wanted. We've shown up and said, how can we help you? We sent an entire team down once. You know what they did for the whole weekend? They made food and served it to, little, to seminarians who had graduated for their celebration because they, they wanted to make sure that those people got served well. And they didn't have enough people to do it. So we showed up. Now, those big Americans, you know what we did? We just served food because that's what they needed. And so when we show up, we want to meet their need as they've indicated the need. And when we do that, we empower their church to share and bless their churches there and to, and, and to bless the people they're reaching and to enable the gospel to go there. The mission then begins to work where we are seeking not to do our thing, but to do their thing, to meet the famine that they have as a need. And so what we do is we gather together and we give as according to our ability. Some of you have the ability to give some time, and so you can go. Maybe sometimes on a, on a short, maybe it's your whole life you're willing to give. Some of you, you have that calling. Some of you are like, I don't have that calling. I have work. Yeah, and guess what? That work may be according to your ability so you can give to those who are going. You can give towards those missions and those needs. And guess what happens when a church like us gathers together? Just a little bit of what we do together with about 900 people to, to about 1,000 people. We can gather together enough that we can send people to other parts of the of other parts of the world and start churches. And we can gather and we can go help in Mexico and we can meet needs where they're asking us to meet needs. But guess what? When several churches gather together and start pouring together, when several denominations start gathering together and pouring together, you end up not with meeting one simple famine, you end up with Compassion International meeting world hunger. As the church decides to help each child in various nations, not just give them the gospel, begin to give them education and food. When the church gathers together and has a cause behind it, we come out and we do Samaritan's Purse, in which we launch not just Christmas child boxes all over the world. No, these teams show up in disaster relief areas and meet needs in places where there are giant tsunamis. They show up and go to Ebola and they run to the crisis and not away from it to the point that their doctors catch the disease and we find the cure and stop it. They're sitting in Congo right now, but they're empowered because the church is willing to gather according to its ability to make a difference globally. And this happens in denominations. This happens through church unification. Guys, this is the power of what happens when the church goes local, expands the place that has the power to go global, and then we pull and pull the church together. Guys, nothing can stop the church when we work in unity together. Amen? This is what we have because the local helps the global. It's not an excuse. It's an empowerment. It's a foundation. So reach into your streets. Meet your neighbors. 
Watch the glorious gospel transform person after person in Starbucks. Wherever God takes us, let us share the gospel. Because it's in that that the global mission is able to launch with strength and support and power as we pray, as we give, and we drop all the I can'ts to, oh yes, in Christ I can. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we do, we ask that as we prepare to be sent out today into this, as, as your ambassadors in this local area, God, that you would begin to move in us names and faces and people that you long for us to reach just in our local area. That God, there are some of us in this room who are called to engage in the global. Would you move our hearts? Maybe it's to go. Maybe it's to give. God, it's definitely to prayer. And I ask that you would just help us drop these I cans to the I cans. God, help us see what it is that you're stirring in us and how we can make a difference in wherever you've placed us. For we long for your name to be known. We long for you, God, to allow your glory to fill this earth like water covers the sea. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.